Hi, you're listening to Startup East, a podcast highlighting Nova Scotia's startup community brought to you by Novacorp. We find, fund, and foster innovative Nova Scotia startups that strive to change the world. And we love a good startup story. This series features stories from entrepreneurs building technology companies in Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening in. This is Tara Melbourne. I'm the founder of Ethical Swag, and this is our startup story. I had the idea of being an entrepreneur. I just didn't have the idea of what the business was going to look like. Um, I knew that it had to have, uh, it had to align with my values, I, the business. I knew that it had to use my skill sets. I knew that I didn't want to do billable hours because I wanted to be able to make money while I slept. I knew that um, my market had to be at least North America, if not global. So I had all of these ideas around what business I was going to start. I just didn't know what the business was. And then I was sitting uh, in a presentation by Joan MacArthur Blair, who was the head of Nova Scotia Community College at the time, talking about the Dartmouth campus that they were building. And they were talking about the geothermal, and they were talking about the um, carbon offsets, and they were talking about the LEED certification, and, and the tens of millions of dollars and the focus on sustainability that were, they were putting into this um, build in Dartmouth. And I thought, that's fabulous. And then um, probably about three weeks later, I was at the Marconi campus in Cape Breton, and I was part of a business panel. I, I was asked to be sort of a guest for their business class. And my parting gift did not reflect their mission and values that I had heard it, from their, their leader. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. They're spending tens of millions of dollars around sustainability, and yet that's not translating into their marketing materials and the things that they are, you know, that are bearing their brand. And the more I looked into it, I was like, wow, that's partly because it's kind of a complicated process and it's not an easy thing to navigate and there aren't people focusing on that. And that's kind of where the idea came from. Like I started with that mindset. Um, I worked in economic development for the province of Nova Scotia for 15 years, or not 15 years, 12 years, I guess. And, you know, I have a very clear understanding on ways to grow economies and ways to uh, have an impact w within the local community in which you're working. And it's really important to bring outside dollars in. If you're only ever creating, taking a dollar that's being spent within the local economy and then redeploying it within the same local economy, you're not actually um, having the kind of impact that I wanted to have. Um, so I always knew it had to be an export-oriented uh, business. I always knew that the market had to be larger than uh, not just Cape Breton, not just Nova Scotia, but Canada, uh, because that's really where you know, you're going you're gonna to have an impact. And it's all about impact for me. It was, how can we have an impact? How can we do something that's a little bit different? How can we um, do something that is going to change lives, really? And I, I, that sounds kind of hokey, but, you know, that's kind of where my head was at. So I've been in business for 30 years now. Um, but I'm not from Cape Breton. Uh, I started my career, well, I start. you know, I'm, I'm born in Montreal, and I worked in Montreal, and then... Uh, Really, the, the most impactful part of my career was in Vancouver. And uh, Vancouver was kind of booming when I was there in the 90s. 
Um, and there was a lot going on, and it was a vibrant city and, and all that sort of thing. And when we moved to Cape Breton, it really hit me that there was plenty of professional women, but they weren't in business necessarily, in sort of export-oriented large business. So there was, you know, the doctors, the lawyers, the teachers, the accountants, um, certainly, you know, very professional, very, very um, impactful women in that way. Uh, and then there was a lot of local business, like restaurants and hairdressing salons and that sort of thing. But there wasn't a lot of women leading export-oriented big business. And I have two daughters, and I was, you know, you are what you see, you know, as you're growing up. And I thought, they're not going to see women in business. They think I sit at a computer all day and do nothing, because I didn't really understand. My husband's a teacher. He stands up in front of a class, and he teaches. They go to school. They understand what that is. They didn't understand what I was doing. So I wanted to create something that got them involved and made them realize that you can create things from nothing. But I never actually intended it necessarily to be my full-time hustle, because I didn't see, you know, at that time, I had very real realities uh, around needing health care for braces and, you know, all those kinds of things. And uh, it's tough when you've got three kids and uh, to, to be an entrepreneur and to do a startup. Absolutely. You know, really, at the end of the day, I, I kind of just created the name. I came up with the name and nobody had it. So I incorporated and I got the URL and I didn't do any research honestly I just saw like intuitively that there was a gap in the market and I just did it um, and there wasn't a really because it wasn't meant to be my full-time job so I just didn't put that many cycles into it honestly it was more sort of oh here's a gap in the market and this is something I can do with my kids and maybe it'll turn into something maybe it won't maybe it can be really impactful maybe it won't be it's not the time um, you know, I incorporated and my parents' house burnt down the next month. So, uh, and they were in their 80s living in Montreal and I'm an only child. So, and we have no family in Canada. So, you know, the responsibility of dealing with all of that on top of a full-time job, on top of three kids, on top of, on top of, on top of, it just wasn't something that I, I could sort of focus on. So I just sort of, it was literally sort of throw up an online brochure and not do anything. That's kind of what I did. And hindsight being 2020, it was the best thing I could have done because it allowed me to have real insights into what people wanted because I got orders. Like without, and the other thing that I was really worried about was I was working for a, a crown corporation with the province of Nova Scotia, and in no way did I ever want anybody to think that I was using my position in a way that was benefiting a private enterprise. So I kind of didn't tell anybody. I told my CEO as soon as I incorporated, I'm like, by the way, I've done this. Don't worry, I'm not quitting, and it's not my intention to use my position in any way, shape, or form to sort of fuel the business. So I never told anybody because I didn't want it to be perceived like I was using my position with the government. Uh, but I got sales, and I got sales all over North America, and I got inquiries from all over North America, and it was really intriguing to me because I hadn't done anything. And when I first launched, um, it was quite focused around uh, sustainable materials, so recycled content, biodegradable content uh, in the products, and that sort of thing. So, um, and it, it, you know, 
I didn't know the industry. I didn't know where to source. I didn't know. So it was all kind of a learning experience and, uh, and that sort of thing. But it, it was really just, it was really kind of a recycled and a biodegradable kind of sort of idea um, is where I started. And when I decided to make it full time, I was like, okay, what does ethical really mean? And what does that, because it can mean anything to anybody. So I realized I had to get really, really focused on what does ethical mean? Um, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? What is it that we're, you know, what are the outcomes that we're looking for? Uh, you know, I, I sort of did a, a lot of really hard work when I realized it had to pay my mortgage and, um, and that it had to be a business that was authentic. You know, people are buying trust when they're buying from ethical swag. And how can we be a real business without clearly defining who we are, what we are, how we're doing it, and that whole backstory? I have to go way back to actually being a kid um, to sort of explain. My father was an entrepreneur. Um, so I grew up in an entrepreneurial house and he used to always say, you got to do things for yourself. You got to do things for yourself. And I was like, I'm never going to create the next best, whatever. Like my father was an inventor, so he was inventing things. So for me, entrepreneurship, when I looked at entrepreneurship, it's like, I can't invent. That's not in my DNA. Like I just, I, I don't see how I can do that. Uh, but entrepreneurship was always sort of in my D DNA in another way in as much as my father went bankrupt when I was 10. And, um, you know, that was a tough time. You know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and dad went bankrupt and he got up the next day and started over again. And I also remember, like, he would take one day off a year. It was Christmas. And uh, so I knew what entrepreneurship was and I knew that it was all-consuming. And I knew that you had to be passionate about it. And I knew that uh, it was something that I wanted to do. But I had three kids and I had parents in their 80s and I had, uh, you know, a lot of responsibility and it's hard to do one thing really well. <clears throat> so the, you know, to do more than one thing, I knew I wasn't going to do any of them very well. And so uh, I very consciously, like except very consciously, put my family first um, for many, many years because that I, there's only a moment in time when my kids are going to need me and I didn't want to miss that. So I very purposefully didn't, you know, uh, become an entrepreneur while they were kids because I knew what it would take because I witnessed it. So now fast forward, I'm turning 50 and my father passes away. And, you know, when the house burnt down and all that kind of stuff, we moved them to Cape Breton and we built a house with an in-law suite so that they would be right beside us. And then dad got sick. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, support that was required on my part and my whole family's part um, as part of that because he was home to the very last um, and he deteriorated over, you know, several years. So. Um, so my father passed away and I was turning 50 and I looked at my husband, it was, and I actually had been offered a job by one of my clients at um, the Crown Corp where I was working and he was out of Colorado and he said, you know, I've been working with you and I'd like to, you know, have you work with us. And he'd been a very successful entrepreneur and I said to my husband, wow, you know, I've kind of not thought about it for a long time, like going out into the private sector and all that sort of thing. But now I think the time the kids are older 
and I'm turning 50 and I literally said the words I used was I've got fuel in the tank and I don't want to wait till I'm 60. So the kids are kind of in a good place right now. They're old, older. I had a couple that were um, university age and one that was a bit younger. Um, and I said, and my father, my mother was very healthy and still is, thankfully. And so I was like, now's the time, I think. And that's what made me do it. I wasn't even convinced that that was going to be my full-time thing, to be honest. I just saw it as a very low-risk thing to do to show my daughters initially. You know, it was kind of a, I can do this. It's, it's pretty simple because um, there wasn't a big capital outlay. There wasn't, you know, it, w it was something that you could do uh, without having to spend a whole lot of money. So that was really why I chose it. to be. And I saw a gap in the market and I thought we could have an impact. But I really didn't know the scale of it, to be honest, until I actually did the hard work. Um, and that came after I left my full-time job. So when I left the Crown Corporation, um, I got offered a job before I even left. And I still hadn't decided what it was that I was going to do. And I just knew I wanted to do something for myself. And uh, <clears throat> I happened to mention it to, <clears throat> excuse me, I happened to mention it to one of my clients um, before I left. said, by the way, nobody knows, but I'm leaving um, at, as of January 1st, I'm out on my own. And the next morning he sent me a text and said, meet for a coffee. And he's like, will you join my company? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not my plan. <laughs> That's not what I was going to do. And uh, he's like, no, no, I, you know, I've been working with you for a little while and you've got a skill set that I don't have and I'd love to sort of. So I said, well, ooh, I don't know. You know. But I still hadn't actually made up my mind exactly what I was going to do. I still had ethical swag sort of off to the side, um, but I wasn't convinced because I hadn't done the hard work that that was what it was going to be. And then also I was used to having a paycheck, a good paycheck for a while. And my mortgage wasn't going away, right? And so I was like, this is an interesting sort of idea. Okay, I'll join you. And it was a cybersecurity startup. And uh, I didn't know anything about cybersecurity. I hadn't done anything in tech uh, whatsoever. Um, however, what happened when I was in the cybersecurity startup, people um, are really interested in cybersecurity. So we got a lot of attention and we got a lot of support in terms of professional development and incubator, uh, incubators and uh, all that sort of thing. So I was sort of thrown from a government crown corp into a tech startup that's on the kind of leading edge where I'm now getting access and I'm getting really access to a lot of resources, um, but also I'm getting comfortable with technology. And the combination of those two things, I think, are kind of pivotal in how I've now sort of evolved into ethical swag, global brand, uh, giving her and making it happen, right? And without that experience with that tech startup, I don't know that I would have arrived where I am now with uh, the business and the vision for the business. Um, so that was a phenomenal experience. I did that for about 18 months. It was uh, immersive um, in technology. It was immersive in tech startup. It was immersive in sort of how you do business today with all the technology stacks and all the different automation uh, techniques and just even things like Google Suite and websites and all those kinds of things. So it was 
really and truly the best 18 months I've ever spent. But I got to the point where I was like, okay, I can't actually move the needle on this. I still need to do it myself. You know, like that was sort of the realization. If I really want to have an impact, I need to be in control. And uh, so that was two years ago. And I still wasn't convinced it was going to be ethical swag, <laughs> which is kind of crazy again. Reason being, when I left my, my government job, I actually did try and do some sales around ethical swag. I actually did try and get the brand out there while I was doing the cybersecurity thing. And it was like pushing water uphill. It was the most painful experience of my life. And I'm like, I do not want to sell pens for a living. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm trying to build. And that's kind of what it felt like. And so I still, even when I left the cybersecurity, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And again, I got offered three jobs the week I left there. So then it was like, oh, geez, paycheck, you know, and mortgage hasn't gone anywhere. It, it's still there. And um, I got really sage advice um, from uh, Bob Pelley and uh, Permjot Valia at Innovacore. Uh, and navigate and they said take some time just stop you need to take a little time and uh, I was like oh no I don't have time I don't have time I can't do that you know and they're like no no just just take a little time and uh, it was June and so I was like okay I'm gonna take the summer it's summer in Cape Breton I'm gonna, I can't afford to take the summer, I'm gonna take the summer. Cause, and it was probably the best advice I've ever had. And I didn't completely take the summer. What I did that summer was a bunch of research. Finally. <laughs> I finally did research. And what I uncovered was absolutely not what I had expected. It was very um, revealing. And I, I researched ethical swag, right? Because I'd had sales and I had had sales all over North America and I'd sold to Yale University and I'd sold to the Center for, Not, uh, for, uh, Center for Sustainability. I've, I've so, I'd sold to all kinds of organizations around North America, U of T, Simon Fraser, law firms, engineering firms that had found this crappy website that was like a brochure and reached out and purchased. So I'm like, clearly there is a market opportunity here. But whenever I go and try and sell it, it's like pushing water uphill. And there was that disconnect. But my research uncovered completely opposite of what I thought. And it was, so that was two years ago, um, the summer of 20, what's that, 17. Um, and uh, I was like, wow. And I, I, I started to see some patterns and I started to see some opportunities and I started to see some uh, gaps in the market. And I also had a really phenomenal conversation. I just started calling people. Um, do you have anyone I can talk to? And, and then I would get to the next person and do you have anyone I can talk to? And it was just, it was about sustainability. It was around entrepreneurship. It was around anything. And I had a really interesting conversation with a woman in Toronto and she said that her husband came home one day and said, I want to be an entrepreneur. And they had four kids, a really nice house in a really nice part of Toronto. And she said, okay, let's, you know, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. And they sold their really nice house and moved into a three bedroom townhouse so that he could get his business going. And um, I went, wow. And I'm worried about giving up the paycheck. And I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do. If you are going to be a doctor, it costs you money to get 
to the point where you start making money. If you're going to start a business, it costs you money until you get to the point where you start making money. If you're like, it's if even when you're starting out as a kid, if you go to university and your friends are out got, and they have jobs, they're making money. You're not. It takes energy, it takes time, it takes commitment, and it takes the ability to say, okay, I'm going to run up my personal line of credit. If I really believe in this, then that's what I've got to do. And it was that conversation with her in Toronto. I was like, I keep going for the paycheck because that's what I've had now for a long time and it's comforting. And I just have to believe in this enough that I will pay off my line in credit and we just have to really dial back as a family like this family did in Toronto and we just have to make it work. And that was sort of my aha. And so the combination of the research and the combination of understanding that I've got to feel that pain in order to be successful, I've got to, it's got to be uncomfortable because if it's not, you're not going to get there. Those two things kind of came together in the fall of 2017. And it was like my aha. I was like, I was like, I know what I, exactly what I have to do. I know exactly what this business is going to look like. I know exactly the steps I need to take. But I only got there after probably eight weeks of pain of sitting in my op my friends and my family were worried about me because it was 12 hours a day in a, you know, a small room um, eating little tiny chocolate bars because Halloween was right around th that time. And there was a lot of little chocolate bars in the house. So it was a really bad time. <laughs> but when it hit me and when it all came together, I just went, I know what I have to do. And then there was no stopping me. I started, I just started. And I put all the, started putting the pieces in place and I started doing all the things that I needed to do and I relaunched March 1st of 2018. The fact that I wanted it big and I wanted it global and, I, and it, it wasn't around the payoff for me, honestly. I could go get a job tomorrow that pays me really well. Like, there's no doubt in my mind, I get offered jobs all the time. Like, that's, I'm not doing this to create a job for myself. I'm doing this to have a global impact. I'm looking at what we're doing in the world around business, and I think it's broken. There's a lot of people that are getting it right, but there's the vast majority that aren't. And when you're just looking at profit and profit alone, we end up in the situation that we are in globally. And I feel that trying to convince really, really profitable companies to change the way they do business because it's good for people and planet is probably like pushing water uphill. So I'd much rather try and create a business that represents the kind of business I think we need globally. And if we all did that, then we maybe would be able to have a bigger impact. So rather than going into a corporation at the executive level and trying to push things down, I'd much rather start grassroots and create something that's going to grow into the kind of organization that puts people and planet and profit on the same playing field. Because profit's not a bad word, but it can't be at the expense of people and planet. I'm a doer. I like to do things. I like to move the needle. I like to get things done. And it felt like none of that was happening. It, it really honestly felt like uh, pain. And it was hard. But once it came together and I was able to really kind of capture, because I had all this stuff, I have 30 years of experience and I've worked with some of the best leaders I would suggest in North America in my career when I was in Vancouver. And so I've seen what leadership is. I've seen what vision is. I, I can, I've seen the impact 
uh, vision and clear vision can have on communities, on countries, just because of some of the things that I had done previously in my career. And so I knew all that. And I had that sort of deep down. But you have to actually, it, it gets raw. Like it, it's, it's really, really hard. And um, I just had to go through that, I think, to kind of, when I came out the other end, I'm telling you, it was so clear. And it was, our, you know, our mission is equity for all. And the way we're going to do that is working with suppliers and clients that put people in planet first. And, and we have a vision for a world where everyone, you know, it's, it's so clear, so clear, but it was hard. I, I'm always trying to think about four steps ahead. So, you know, what are we going to need four steps from now while I'm activating on today so that I'm making decisions today that I don't have to undo four steps from now, right? Um, I also have learned to stop being in a rush all the time. Uh, I want everything yesterday. And I, you know, that's just the, my nature and that's just the way I am. Um, but in order to be really purposeful about how I'm building my business, and I'm, I'm not thinking about it just from a profit standpoint, I'm not thinking about it just from a sort of activation standpoint on the sort of product side, but it's also what kind of business do I want to create? What does that look like? What kind of talent do I want to attract to the business? How are we going to make sure that we are able to build it in a responsible way? You know, all those kinds of decisions are decisions that I was thinking about sort of in that the that painful stage um, and then it was okay I need to you know I need a website because uh, I'm gonna do this online it's got to be in the US and it's got to be in Canada and I sort of okay so what are the steps I need to take and how am I gonna do that because I'm bootstrapping right I'm now um, you know at the time I'd only been about six months without a paycheck um, so you know but you know three kids and mortgage and you know that's and I had, I had a good paycheck uh, before that. So, but I was like, no, okay, so I've got to do things, but I don't have, have $100,000. I don't have $200,000 to, to make things happen. And I'm by myself. So what's the best way to do this? I've got to put together a website that's sort of my MVP. This is what I learned when I was with the technology company, MVP, minimal viable product. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to get out there and you've got to let your customers tell you what they want. Let your customers inform how this should look because they're the ones that, you know, presumably are going to be buying it uh, if you do it right. So it was, again, I, I tapped into that cybersecurity 18-month NBA uh, in technology, quite frankly, to say, okay, what do I need now? But let's not make decisions today that are going to have a negative impact four steps down the road. Right, and so that's how I've done it. I, you know, always with an eye, four steps, and then this week, how do I get move the needle a little bit more? And and then the next week, how do I move the needle a little bit more? Um, but letting the customer inform how we're doing it, I think, has been key as well. So we relaunched uh, March first, twenty eighteen. Um, and all of a sudden sales started to come from all over and inquiries from all over the world. I have had um, regularly Australia, UK, I've had calls from South Korea, I've had sales, um, uh, Germany, uh, UK, Albania, um, you know, and when I say sales, I, I've turned down sales because we won't ship currently outside of North America. 
Um, but what's happened is we have, um, there's a, a lot of conferences that happen in Canada and the U.S., and when clients are traveling internationally, they're finding ethical swag and they're purchasing from us and we're shipping directly to the conference location. So we have had definitely international sales. Um, and when I would say to people, how did you find us? And they'd say, Googled you. We were looking for what you're doing. And I, there's not a week that goes by that I don't, I had a call last week from a guy in Germany. He's like, I love your company. I love what you're doing. I love your products. Uh, I can't believe you've got that URL. <laughs> was his reaction, right? And I, that happens weekly. So there's there's a, a demand out there. There's people looking for what we're doing. Um, and that is reaffirming. And that's what kind of keeps us going. And that's, it. it's, and I ask them, what kind of things are you looking for? What do you need? What are your pressure points? You know, we have a very sort of um, fluid um, conversation with our clients because they are as excited as we are. And we're not, we're not trying to grow the industry. It's, it's, it's not our intent to try and make, we're just to make it bigger. We, our intent, our focus is providing alternatives for a budget that people already have within their organizations for these kinds of products. We're just redeploying budget. We're not growing the market. It's a $24 billion industry. There's a lot of room in there. Um, and there's a lot of people uh, that are reaching out to us saying this is exactly what we're looking for. I think that it's really important to sort of listen to your intuition, right? So intuitively, I knew it was a gap in the market. Intuitively, I knew that there was a market demand. But until I did the research, I didn't know what that looked like. And the research then uncovered uh, a huge gap in the market, a huge uh, opportunity. Um, so. It's, it's a combination of intuition and hard work and research. And I think that that's sort of where the magic happens. And I think that also, you know, when we think about sort of the state of our, our, our globe and the, the state of business and, and how we sort of go about business, I think what's happened in the, the 20th century, it was all around efficiency. And it was all around how do we drive profits? How do we get efficient, uh, become more efficient? How do we, we make things happen from an efficiency standpoint? But there wasn't a lot of mind to what impact that was having on people or on the planet. And we now know the state that we're in, right? You know, I, I, I think it's fair to say that, you know, um, science is showing and, and definitely the market is showing, you know, the, it's not sustainable. What I believe in the 21st century and a lot of the research and a lot of the things that I've looked into, I think technology is a phenomenal enabler, but we can't, we, we have to look to nature. Look at nature. It's not efficient. It's not a grid, right? Things don't, rivers don't go in north, south, east, west. <laughs> They're fluid. Um, trees grow to different sizes. Um, like nature is really, so I think it's, the marrying of technology and creativity is where the 21st century needs to be. Um, it can be really isolating um, when you're working. Like, I'm by myself. I'm a sole owner, 100% owner of the, the business right now. Um, that's not because I feel like I have to be. It's just I've tried partnerships. I've tried working for other people. I've tried, like, 
I've been around and I've tried a lot of different things and I just realized I have a really clear vision of what I'm trying to build and I, I need to do that for myself right now because um, uh, it's just the way it is. But you can't underestimate the value of being around other people and you can't underestimate the value of networking. And um, it's just so important because it's amazing when you're sitting at your desk by yourself doing things and then you get out and you see somebody and it's like, oh my God, you can help me with such and such. Or, oh my goodness, uh, have you been through this before? Could you give me some insights? But you don't think to phone them up necessarily. It's when you're face to face with people that really, I think magic, there's a reason why, like in, like let's go to the Raptors right now and they're, you know, they're, the arena is full of 20,000 people. It's very different. There's people paying big, big dollars to be in that arena because you're around other people and there's an energy that happens when you're around other people. You can watch it on your TV in your living room by yourself. You can watch it in your living room with a bunch of people. You can go to the arena. You're watching the same product, but you have a completely different experience depending on how many people you're with. And so we have to be really careful when you're working by yourself or you're working as an entrepreneur or you're, you know, there's a lot of remote um, you know, I'm building a business that's not tied to a certain location. That's very purposeful. But at the same time, it's so important to be around other people because there's an energy that happens that you just don't get otherwise. And um, that's where I think, you know, Navigate has been really helpful, um, creating a shared workspace. And those are happening all over the planet, right? And there's a reason for that, that because it works. And when you put people and like-minded people together, that's when some really fabulous things can happen. So shared space, I think, is a fabulous solution or opportunity to this remote work. I was at Collision last week or two weeks ago, and there's a lot of people that work remotely. Um, and the people that have done it for a really long time, they're like, it's killing me. I need to get out and I need to get amongst people. So shared workspaces, I think, um, are phenomenal. And we, we need to make them uh, where people want to be. Listeners, InnovaCorp finds, funds, and fosters innovative Nova Scotia startups that strive to change the world. How can you be a part of this booming startup community? Visit InnovaCorp.ca for more information.